morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Deedstillian Geekdom. I'm your host, Jason, of The Deedstillian Mind. So, today's episode, I thought that I would walk through some of the fails that have been in the world of the nerds, from my perspective, anyway. Um, recently, I've been going through and highlighting some of the more successful um, shows or movies or what have you. Um, but today I felt it would be good to focus on some of the fails that uh, some of these different uh, venues in the geekdom push out. Uh, the first one is DC's uh, TV show Superman and Lois. Uh, I watched about four or five um I want to say about four or five episodes of it, and it's just, you know, it's not doing it for me, you know. Um, the general idea that I draw from this show so far is that it's just too cliche. Uh, you got the goofy dad, in this case, Superman, and you've got Lois Lane being the cl- cliche... Uh, uh, over-the-top um, journalist or reporter. Now, I imagine this is probably something that stems from some of the earlier uh, content for Superman, dating back to the comics, where he, Superman, acting as Clark Kent, gives off this goofy persona, while Lois Lane uh, basically puts off this, I'm a hard-ass journalist uh, persona. You know, So my guess is they're probably drawing it from that, um, but the way I see it is, is that it's just too cliche, especially given the fact that this show takes place after Lois and Clark are married and after they have kids. Uh, and it just kind of runs through initially how the, their children, their two teenage boys don't know that Clark is Superman but obviously Lois does, and then Lois's father knows too, as well as Clark's mother. Um, but then you go through there and you find, you know, when you go through the, 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 the season thus far from what I've seen, is that the two boys find out, and then one of them finds out they have superpowers like Clark. Um, now, another reason why I call the overarching theme of, the, of Superman and Lois as being too cliché is that because they give the cliche, uh, the stereotypes for, for teens um, in this show. So the younger son, he's the, uh, the cliche that is the, uh, the emo brat with quote-unquote issues. You know, he doesn't know how to talk to people and all that stuff. I mean, that's, to be honest, that's just been, that's been done to death so many times it's getting old. Um... It was old when I was in high school in the late 90s. So this is obviously carrying over for whatever reason. And then the older son, he is just the opposite. He is the uh, the typical football jock, you know, the teen angst going on. Um, and so you, you kind of have that those two polar opposite dynamics at play here. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's just one big teenage mood fest. 
And that's just, you know, it's just done to death. So that's why I say that Superman and Lois are just two cliches because these characters are, they're all predictable. You know, there's nothing that is different or unique about them that would make the show interesting to watch. Um, and when it comes to Lois, the same thing. I mean, it's, she's just, she, she puts off this persona of being this hard-assed, uh, journalist who's all about always going out there and finding the truth. And yet the only time, the only thing she does is she does like opinion pieces and she, she thinks that, you know, writing her opinion pieces is equivalent to writing the truth, you know? Um... And so there's a whole backstory there. And this kind of goes into the whole cliche theme, too, about uh, the family returning to Smallville. They had been living in Metropolis in the big city. So they kind of grew up with, the, you know, the kids grew up with the big city life. And, and Clark and Lois got used to the, quote-unquote, big city life as well. Um, but then in the show, you find out they moved back to Smallville. And so there's that whole stereotype, that whole cliche um, that is developed as well about all the, you know, the, the country bumpkins who, uh, you know, look down their nose at, uh, Clark and Lois for moving back and thinking that they don't know what they, what they feel and how, how hard it is for them. And, you know, and it, it's just that typical cliche, that typical stereotype that you see regurgitated American pop culture over and over again. You know, small town people think that, uh, you know, they have it hard and they don't understand, uh, and they don't think that other people outside their small town mentality don't understand what they're going through. And yet at the same token, they fall for the same traps from corporate, uh, um, America. Um, in the case of small villains, you know, some billionaire or some big wig from a, a corporation wants to come in and open up shop and put up a big facility there. And they're kind of drawn on the whole Amazon thing as well, where Amazon in the past, as well as other corporations too, would go into a small community, offer it to, you know, all these jobs and all the all these benefits to them being there um, in exchange for like tax breaks or anything like that. And then the company will end up, you know, ruining that small community, you know, and basically leaving them worse off than when before they came in. And that's kind of the, the whole story that you see behind uh, Smallville as well, kind of a side story. It's just this whole cliche thing that keeps getting played over and over again, you know. Um, and I understand why they're doing that because, I mean, that's still a big issue that's going on today. So it's them trying to shed light on how, um, you know, some corporations in the in this country decide to do business and somehow some wealthy people at the heads of these companies decide to treat people okay I understand that you know by the same token it's like man that's you know if that's the only narrative you know then you're gonna have a very mundane mediocre show um the other thing the reason I don't like the Lois's character is because the actress is just horrible uh, she was one of the main characters from the show Grimm, um, and I shouldn't say this or make fun of her for it, but I'm sorry, but her, her lazy eye is just, ugh, you know, it's annoying, let's put it that way, um, and, but her, her acting skills are just not the greatest either, 
Uh, I'm known to talk about acting. I'm a horrible at acting, but it's also not my profession, you know. I don't go out of my way to try to be an actor. Um, but that's her profession, and she's horrible at it as an actor, as an actress. Um, just can't get behind her as a casting pick. Um, so those are some of the, the, the downsides that I have to uh, um, the Superman and Lois TV series thus far. I don't know if I'm going to continue to watch it or not. I kind of lost interest in it after uh, a few episodes. I might try picking it up again, you know, maybe once season one is uh, completely out, I might just go back through and binge watch it and and, uh, revisit uh, um, my synopsis episodes where I go through and break down a season, but we'll we'll see how that goes. For right now, I do not recommend Superman and Lois. I think it's a very mundane show to watch uh the only saving grace that i would consider for the show as of right now being four or five episodes in is and this is a spoiler alert too the alternate timeline lex luther um throughout these first few episodes you find out that uh uh lex luther comes over to the show's timeline from an alternate universe um, and once again, spoiler alert, uh, this is from a timeline where it's, where all the superheroes are villains. Uh, so it's kind of like the Injustice League, if you remember that video game or that story arc from the DC Comics. Um, but basically in this story, or in this alternate uh, timeline, this alternate universe, Lex Luthor is actually a good guy. And... Build and he's like a, he's into tech and he builds like a mecha suit, uh, almost like Iron Man suit. And uh, um, in his timeline, Superman is evil, destroying the world the whole nine yards, and uh, he tries to stop Superman. So, you know, he's trying to stop Superman in this timeline thinking he's the same Superman as in his original timeline. Uh, and so I can, I can see that that plot twist that they're going with could be a slight redeeming factor for the show. Um, the only other redeeming factor that I could see is if they actually change these characters in some way. Um, if they actually get rid of Clark's Goofiness. If they actually have the two kids stop being stereotypes of an emo brat and a teen angst uh, jock, you know, um, I think that's what's going to have to happen. You know, outside of the the plot twist that is alternate universe Lex Luthor. But as of right now, I think the character that is Lex Luthor is the most promising thing about the show i think that so far the character seems pretty uh pretty decent um and so i would say if you want to watch the show watch the show for that character um don't watch the show for anything else because all the other characters thus far have been just you know poorly written lazy writing that that's what it boils down to too cliche too stereotypical um of the whole situation so that's my take on superman and lois uh the second one on the list 
is also from the DC uh, universe. And this is Legends of Tomorrow. And um, the overarching theme that I have for this show is support heroes are support heroes for a reason. If you remember from some of the other uh, superhero shows out there, you'll generally have the main superhero. Think uh, in, in the case of DC Comics, think of their, their TV show, The Flash. He is the main superhero that the show is centered around. And now they have supporting superheroes that come in every now and then, you know, to help support the main character. Well, Legends of Tomorrow decided to take all of these random support heroes, support characters, and turn them into a group of main heroes for this show. And it just... It doesn't really work out. Um, So I got through season one and two and partially through season three, maybe like three episodes, four episodes in. And at that point, I just had to draw the line. Now, I will admit that season one, I think is really good. They do a good job. Um... The two aspects that I do not like about season one is kind of the uh, the leader of the group, who is Captain Hunter. Uh, he's uh, basically, uh, um, in a way, he's kind of like a time cop. You know, he makes sure that the the, the um, he's supposed to make sure that the story or the the timeline stays intact. But you find out he goes rogue. Um, now. The reason why I don't like Captain Hunter is because he you, you can get a sense that he's trying really hard to become the next Doctor Who. Because that's really what this is kind of about. Um, and so you find out that uh, um, Captain Hunter is part of a, a group of, an organization that's supposed to protect time protect it from any kind of catastrophic events because according to their eyes you know time does not want to be changed and so it will first of all try to get back to you know whatever kind of major events it's been predestined to happen and secondly they have this idea that time and the history should be predestined that that, that it needs to be set in stone no matter what, doesn't matter who dies, how horrible of a situation it is, time must be preserved as is because for some reason that timeline is the official, ordained, predetermined, albeit timestamp that history should know. Um, and so, it, like I said, it's kind of like a take, it's, it's a take on Doctor Who. I haven't watched the show, but I have the general premise down. Uh, and and the, th- the thing I have with the issue I have with, with Captain Hunter is that I think he's trying too hard to audition to be the next Doctor Who. Uh, his, his action is just over the top. He's trying to be dramatic or strike a pose or, or have something witty to say, you know, with every single line, you know. And it's just like, dude, man, you're you're just not doing it. You know, just play the role. Yeah, sure, we get you got a British accent, so you can make it sound like you're, you know, 
smart or, or whatever. You know, I, it just his character was just the act. I think the actor just tried over the top to to make his uh, character likable and and uh, um, cool. When in fact he's eh, whatever. You know, it's a whatever moment. The other character I do not like is Adam. And once again, this goes back to the goofiness. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but it it the actor is the guy who plays the uh, vegan from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He was also a Superman for like one movie. Uh, he played Dylan Dog. I can't remember his name for whatever reason, but I just cannot stand that actor. Uh, he, he he's just annoying. I mean, he, he he's got a very dismal acting skill. And he always thinks that he can play a good role by being goofy. And that's who he is in this show. He, he plays Adam, but he's goofy. I mean, he, he acts like a kid, you know, when he's um, a superhero. And he's trying to go and do kid things, you know. And, and it's just like, dude, man, grow up. You're a superhero, and you're acting like a kid when it comes to doing some of this stuff. You know, like nerding out because he gets to go to to uh, King Arthur's Camelot and all that stuff. And it's just like, you know, and his whole thing is, I'm going to stay and be a knight because valor and honor and all that. It's like, dude, man, it's it's getting old, you know. And, and all throughout season one and to be honest, season two and part of season three, you know, Adam, the character, is just, he's goofy. And it's it's... You know, they've got comic relief. They don't need his goofiness for comic relief. It's he's the Jar Jar Binks of of Legends of Tomorrow. That's what it is. Um, overall, though, I did like season one. Uh, they brought in uh, Vandal Savage, uh, and they kind of followed that whole storyline of being an immortal. They bringing in Hawk Girl and Hawkman, and that whole story dating back to Egypt. How. You know, they constantly be ki- get killed and then find each other in the next life, only to be killed again by the same person. Um, now, granted, that person w- in the comics wasn't Vandal Savage. They brought Vandal Savage in there because he is a he is an immortal, and so was the other person who kept killing Hawkman and Hawk Girl um, repeatedly throughout history. But they just kind of merged Vandal Savage and this other guy together, this hunter, and. He became the guy that was hunting down Hawkman and and Hot Girl. Uh, I personally, I like that story. I think that's a really awesome story plot. How they're immortal and they 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 die but they get resurrected. And so I guess that makes them semi immortal. But uh, Hawkman and Hot Girl, they 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 can be killed and then they resurrect. They reincarnate into another body, and then they spend and then they try to go and find you know each other once they kind of discover who they are. Uh, truly who they are. They will go and try to find each other and live together as kind of like eternal loves type of thing. Uh, Pretty interesting take, you know. Um, So I enjoyed that being added into the plot. Um, I also like the ending of season one as well, where you you find out that the Time Lords are working with Vandal Savage to rewrite history and give him more supreme power. As a, as a global dictator, and you find out that the reason why they decided to do that is because they feel that changing history will benefit the human race because the Time Lords, or whatever they're called in the show, 
time walkers or whatever, um, time council, um, they believe that if the history was allowed to play out as it originally was supposed to, that humanity would be too weak to fight off an invading alien force who will come in and enslave humanity and wipe them out or, or enslave them or both. Um, and so you find out in the finale of season one that the Time Council or whatever they're called is actually working with Vandal Savage to become a global dictator. Um countering their own philosophy that the timeline should be upheld and that its original timestamp should remain in place. They go completely against that that philosophical narrative and they start working with Vandal Savage to rewrite history so that humanity comes out stronger so that when the time comes when this alien force does invade Earth, humans are stronger and more united and can easily fend off this alien invasion. Uh, and basically you find out that the Time Lords are using Vandal Savage to unite Earth under one banner, albeit a dictatorship, but then that dictatorship not only unites people, it unites people to overthrow Vandal. So they use Vandal Savage as a pawn to make sure that people get united quicker and sooner so that they can fend off an alien invasion. All right, you know, that, that's a pretty cool... I, I actually like that story. That was a, you know, season one was a really good season, like I said. Uh, I know I'm giving a whole bunch of spoilers here, but uh, uh, season one is a really good season. I, I thought it was done very well. They bring in, you know, some pretty interesting cast members, you know, or characters from other shows. Uh, my favorite being uh, Snart, uh, a.k.a. Captain Cold, and... Uh, um, Oh, what's the other guy? His partner from from uh, um, I think it's Fury or something like that. Um, anyway, it's a it's a they're a, a tandem group. Uh, uh, Wentworth Miller plays uh, Captain Cold, and then uh, his uh, buddy from uh, uh, Prison Break plays uh, the other guy, Fury or or Heatwave. That's Heatwave. Um. Those two, I think, were really good. You know, they they were villains in uh, um, in the Flash, but then they kind of become antiheroes. Um, so they're brought in. Uh, they were a really good duo. I thought I really liked them in the show. They helped out with making season one um, really good, along with the plot. Um, but season two, um, season two coming in is it's just it's bad. You know, they get rid of some of the cast members. Um, one of them being uh, Captain Cold or Snart and Wentworth, Wentworth Miller's character so you kind of lose his addition to the uh, to the show which I think was a big downfall um, and you basically you know you find out that Captain Hunter mind wiped himself and put himself somewhere in history um, because of some sort of catastrophic event that he had to stop. And so part of the show is them trying to rediscover who they are, you know, and and realize that, oh, shit, you know, something happened and we got to go back and get the team back together and start, you know, fixing history. 
Um, so you start off with that, and everybody kind of gets back together, except for certain uh, characters who don't return from season one. Um, and then you find out that there is a new group of villains who are trying to rewrite history to uh, help them personally. Um, now, these are some villains that uh, were in other DC shows. For example, the, the Dark Archer and then uh, Damien Dark. They're both from uh, Arrow. They were villains for like one or two seasons, something like that. They end up coming into Legends of Tomorrow. And then you get the Reverse Flash, which was the main uh, villain from season one of um, Flash's show. As well as making appearances in other uh, shows as another villain as well. Uh, he becomes the main villain in this one. Um, and so part of the reason why I state that season two undoes the what is good about season one is because season two, they doubled down on the goofy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they tripled down on the goofiness. Adam is still there and goofy. They bring in a new character who is a historian, archaeologist type of a thing. And he instantly kind of buddies up with Adam because he's goofy as well. And then he becomes Steel, which is kind of like Colossus in Marvel, where he can turn his his, uh, his skin into, like, steel. Um, but they're still... So they kind of double down on the goofiness on the quote-unquote hero side, the legend side. And then on the villain side the two um, kind of underlings to the reverse Flash, Damien Dark and uh, the Dark Archer. Um, They have a little spat with being the goofy, incompetent villain where they can't do anything right, constantly stumbling over each other and getting in each other's way to catch the, the heroes and all that stuff. And that just got really stupid after a while. Um, I think they caught on because at some point in season two, all the villains kind of got on the same page. Um, and they started to realize that they need to work together because if they don't work together, each one can lose something. And so that's kind of where the three villains kind of unify to work together to achieve this one particular goal. And you find out that the goal is that they want to utterly rewrite history with them in control. And to do that, they need to get the uh, the spear that uh, pierced the side of Jesus on the cross. Because that spear, because it got blood all over it from, from, from stabbing Jesus, it gave it special powers to where it can rewrite history. Um, it's basically, in a way, kind of like the, the, the Thanos gauntlet with the... the uh, all the infinity stones in it. They can, you know, they can just kind of, you know, think what they want and then boom, that's how it rewrites history into their favor. So that's basically what season two is about is, is the heroes kind of, um, gathering new people into the legends to fight off this trio of villains who are trying to, get this special artifact that can rewrite history into their making. Um, and, uh, 
it's it's cheesy. It's it's bad. It, it's all the cliche, stupid things that you can think of was it reintroduced in season two and it just it made it unbearable you know especially with the fact too that they had to bring in you know the spear that pierced jesus you know and jesus's blood all of a sudden makes it uh, a special artifact of, of special powers and it's like i mean it's it's ridiculous you know it's the re- this is the reason why i lost interest in the show supernatural is because they had to go jesus christ superstar with it and that's what uh legends did here they they turned it all jesus christ superstar you know the spear that pierced jesus his blood makes it special and blah 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 blah. it's like okay we get it you gotta appeal to the uh, jesus freak american to get them to watch the show you know and it's like there are better ideas that they can utilize than this so um plus the ending was, was pretty stupid too the season finale was stupid i thought anyway um, I won't spoil that, but that's just my take on season two. And season three, it didn't start off much better either. You know, they, uh, um, they were able to defeat, um, Reverse Flash and his two cohorts, his two, uh, buddies, uh, criminals in action, whatever you want to call it, uh, buddies in crime. But, uh, then they go on to season three and basically you find out that Captain Hunter is back. He comes back in season two. There's a whole side arc with him, and it's stupid. Um, but uh, um, Captain Hunter is back as himself in season three, and now he basically becomes the new head of this new time council that uh, he replaces, because at the end of season one, you find out that they destroy the time council or whatever they're called, Um and so in season three, you find out that Captain Hunter is now the head of this new time council and agency, kind of like the Men in Black. And their job is to go around and patch up all the holes that uh, the legends have popped into history because of their incompetency throughout season one and two. Um, and that, that, plot, that, that story, that plot didn't really bother me at all. Like I said, I only got maybe three episodes into season three. It's just the characters just, you know, if you think that they're bad in season two when it comes to their goofiness and stupidity, in season three, they just take it to a whole new level. And it it was just too much for me. So I had to just give up on watching Legends of Tomorrow, you know, because it just, it just got really bad, you know, like there's a reason why some of these, these characters are uh, support heroes is because they don't have the uh, mental capacity, let's put it that way, to be anything but goofy support heroes. Some people just, you know, some superheroes are just supposed to be the Robins. Let's put it that way, you know. Uh, And this is a prime example of it. So after season one, I just, you know, I could not... I don't know how I got through season two. I guess I figured, you know, season one was good. I'll give season two a chance. And that just completely neutralized season one. And then season three was just, well, this is down the shitter. So uh, when it comes to Legends of Tomorrow, big fail as well. Except for season one. So everyone out there, do watch season one of Legends of Tomorrow. It's really good. Um, 
but don't go into season two or season three. It's just it's it's painful to watch. Uh, has its moments, but it's still painful to watch. Um, the third fail that I want to talk about today comes from World of Warcraft. Now, this kind of ties into how I could say another topic of fail is me come out with some uh, more some more content and stuff like that. Um, I guess I'll kind of get into that towards the end of this video, but uh, um, one of the fail things that I have for World of Warcraft is how they go about introducing the allied races. And the overarching theme is just lazy writing. And here's why, you know. So I in the last few weeks and months here, I've been working on unlocking as many of the allied races as I can. Um, because I want to see what their start zones are like. And for those of you who do play or don't play, um, basically what you do is you unlock allied races, and these are kind of like support cast type of characters that you can play. Um, different variations of some of the races that you can already play in WoW. So for example, if you play WoW, um, one of them is a Tarn. They're basically like a Minotaur type of a, a creature. One of the allied races you can get is an offshoot of the Tarn called the High Mountain Tarn, which make them look more like moose you know minotaur but more moose features instead of bull features um and so you go through this whole quest chain to unlock them um and part of the whole advertisement of these allied races and part of the, the whole grab at them is unlock these allied races and you can go and experience their own start zone okay cool that sounds cool well, when I went and, and tried it, that's not what it was at all. The only quest that you had to do in this Allied Races quote-unquote start zone or start capital was to go meet the leader of your faction. You know, say hi to them, and then they send you right back to the rest of the content that has been around since, you know, uh, uh, classic uh, uh, or vanilla World of Warcraft, or the re reboot that they did, the soft reboot that they did in, in Cataclysm, you know, so it just completely lazy writing, you know, you just, you go to your quote-unquote capital or start zone to just to meet your leader, and then off you go back into the rest of the world, you know, there, there's nothing there, um, plus that you, when you do that, you automatically start at level 10, not level 1, so... I think that was really lazy writing on their part. Um, for those uh, for those people who play um, World of Warcraft, they will know that some of the capital cities actually have quests in them. For those of you who don't know, you know, generally speaking, each race or each allied race will have their own capital city. Um, especially the main races in the game, most of them will have a capital city. So, for example. Uh, if you play human, your capital city is Stormwind. If you play orc, your capital city is Orgrimmar. Now, given that those are the two main races for each faction, those are also the um, the overarching faction's uh, capital cities. So the Horde and the Alliance are two factions you can play as under. Um, the Alliance's 
capital city is Stormwind City, but that's also the capital city of the humans. If you play the dwarf, your capital city is Ironforge City, but the Alliance capital city is still Stormwind. So it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like Washington, D.C. versus Lansing, Michigan. You know, yeah, sure, you're in, you're in Michigan, but Lansing's your capital, but because you're in the United States, Washington, D.C. is your federal capital. Kind of the same thing. The Alliance is the United States. For this analogy purpose, um, playing as human, that means you're the kingdom of Stormwind. That's your state, like Michigan. And Stormwind City is the capital city, which is the capital city of Stormwind, Stormwind City. Um, you know, and then if you're from Ohio, you might be, okay, well, that means... Uh, Kingdom of Ironforge, I'm a dwarf, and my capital city is Ironforge City. See how that all plays out. So, you know, they try to do that for most of the races. I think the only race that does not have um, a capital city on the Alliance is the Gnomes, and on the uh, Horde, it's the Trolls. They don't have their own capital city. Um, Semi-sorta. Um... But in some of the game, in some of the expansion packs, Legion, uh, Battle for Azeroth, and now Shadowlands, um, there are more and more capital cities being com- being brought into the game. So, for example, uh, if you are playing Battle for Azeroth, um, one of the allied races is is Kul'tiran human, and so they have their own capital city, Borlas. So you got, you know, two human uh, sub-factions within the Alliance. You got the humans of Stormwind, humans of Kul'tiris. Uh, two different kingdoms, two different capital cities, but they're still Alliance. And so, in some of these newer versions of, of factions and capital cities, they offer quests. So when I play my Horde characters, I can go to the uh, the, the troll capital of Daza Alor, and I could do quests within the capital city. Well, I think they should have done that with these allied races. Because introducing these allied races, but only having you go to your capital city to just talk to the leader, and then boom, you're off to whatever content, that's kind of stupid, especially when you're starting at level 10. So I think what they should have done is they should have done what they did with capital cities in some of these later expansion packs, like Legion, or Battle for Azeroth, or Shadowlands, and do it where okay yeah you unlock uh, um, you unlock these allied races but then when you go and play these allied races as a character you go and maybe level one through five as you're doing quests within that capital city and then after that you go from level five to level ten into um, a zone that's somewhere else in one of the other uh, classic. Uh, content uh, areas, you know. So in the case of uh, of uh, the Kul'tiran humans, you know, you go and you build a human of Kul'tiris. You start off level one through five in their capital city of Borlas, doing quests and stuff like that. And then six to ten, you jump over into um, uh, Elwyn Forest, which is the start zone for the Stormwind humans going all the way back to the original vanilla Warcraft, World of Warcraft content. Or you can choose to go to any other start zone. 
So I think what they should do is they should have one through five level be, you know, you start doing quests in your capital city, and then six through ten or five through ten you start doing quests in your start zone area. I think that would have given a lot more um, content that players could enjoy. And have this content, especially the stuff in the capital city, be unique just to that allied race. Because um, going back to the whole thing with the troll capital that I mentioned earlier of Desert Lore, I can go in there and I can do Battle for Azeroth level quests in that capital city, even though I'm a I'm a, a blood elf. Or I could I could make any character from the horde and go in there and do those quests once I get that level. But if you go and create this kind of troll, the Zandalari troll, as an allied race character, you should get unique starting quests in the capital for level 1 through 5. I think that would add a lot more interest to the, uh, to the game. It'd be like their origin story, if you will. So instead of doing a half-assed origin story as part of the unlock sequence to unlock the, the allied race, just have a much more thorough, you know, origin story as part of the questing from level one through five in that race, that allied race's capital city. And then from there, from five to ten, you can go and do whatever else you want to do. Um, so that's kind of my, my take on kind of where the, the shortcomings were for uh, World of Warcraft's idea of allied races and bringing them into the game um and like i said they're very basically they're just variations of of subgroups of the uh uh, of some of the main races like i mentioned before you know the taurans are the core race and then the high mountain tauren is the allied race so it's kind of like a subgroup of a main race another example but like i said dwarf the allied race is a dark iron dwarf you know so it's kind of like basically it's just a uh a character from another faction but of the same race hence my comment earlier about humans from Stormwind and humans from Kul kind of the same thing the Kul humans they're the allied race the Stormwind humans they're the core race um so and I think I might actually make another uh um Story or another uh, episode about that too, how they could have improved the allied races as opposed to how they chose to go about with the allied races, um, making them basically be unlock unlock content rather than a whole new race or allied race altogether. Um, but like I said, I'll probably get into that in a future episode. Uh, lastly, when it comes to just fails, is the new movie Mortal Kombat. Um, Sorry to say, but it was overhyped. I was looking forward to it, but it was overhyped. And the plot was slow and boring. Uh, it's too much focus on the backstories of, of the characters, especially, uh, you know, some of the main ones. And it just got really stupid, you know. Uh, the other thing that I didn't like about it is it did not take place at all during the competition, the tournament that is Mortal Kombat. It's basically, you know, um, it's basically beforehand and how, I can't remember the, the villain's name, but uh, 
Sung Shao or something like that. I can't remember his name, but the, the basically the villain decides instead of winning the tournament for a tenth straight year and, and uh, enslaving Earth, he's just going to use his Mortal Kombat champions to invade Earth prematurely um, by killing all of the uh, Mortal Kombat recipients. And so there's this whole story about how uh, only uh, chosen select few are, are allowed to be in Mortal Kombat, and you can tell who these select few chosen combatants are based off of the Mortal Kombat dragon icon that shows up as like a birthmark on, somewhere on their body. And the only way to get that birth, that that Mortal Kombat insignia as a birthmark on your body is to either be born into the lineage of, of a fighter worthy of um, being in Mortal Kombat or killing somebody who had the mark, and then you ob- obtain that mark after killing that mortal combatant. Um, I understand that. I can, I can see that part of it. That, that that does make sense. You know, the the whole uh, you know thing with the little uh, mortal combat uh, marking become like a birthmark on you to signify that you are worthy of becoming the uh, a, a combatant in that uh, tournament, but. Otherwise, the, the rest of the, the movie was just kind of stupid. Um, they have very little in the way of uh, Scorpion in there, which is a major character, one of my favorites, to be honest. So this might be a little bit biased and against them, but they had very little of, of Scorpion in there. Uh, it was mainly focused around Sub-Zero, which that didn't bother me, but his, his suit just was, I don't know. It was okay, I guess. Um... But the main problem that I had was, and this is a spoiler alert, they decided to kill some of the main characters in the movie. They kill Sub-Zero, they kill Goro, and these are some pretty main characters in the Mortal Kombat uh, series, in the games. So to kill them off quickly like that, it, it was pretty stupid, especially given the fact that this isn't even a, you know, the actual tournament, you know? Um... But that's what they decided to do, you know, and so it it was nice to see, you know, that they could bring it back with much more uh, visual effects and all that stuff uh, because the, the last few uh, Mortal Kombat movies from, you know, 15, 20 years ago, eh, whatever, you know. Uh, the first one was okay, but then they kind of went overboard on, on sequels and those sequels just turned to trash pretty quick. Um, so it was nice to see some of the uh, the new uh, special arts and special effects they could put in there, visual arts, uh, you know, some of that stuff. It was kind of cool to see that, but the, the, it lacked in story. What it, made, what, it, what it made up for in visual effects, it lacked in story. Um, and I think it was a little cliche that they would put in some of the, uh, the quotes from the game you know, just to appease the the old school fan base. You know, it was yeah. the 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 bar was set pretty low, I think, and they did a good job of still finding a way to come in underneath that bar. Um, there was a bunch of things they could have done better. Uh, stop focusing so much on. The story, the backstories of each character. Stop focusing on this idea that uh, you know the characters got to find their true power, and only then can they stop uh, the villain from 
hunting them down and, uh, you know, illegally winning, if you will, and taking Earth as a slave planet. You know, it's just, there's better ways to come up with a story for this, and they just were not being very creative. So, um, hate to say it, but uh, Mortal Kombat was a big letdown. Um, I still like to see Scorpion in there, though. When he did show up, he was awesome. Um, even though I'm okay with uh, Sub-Zero's, uh, you know, ninja suit or whatever you want to call it, uh, um, he was a pretty good character. Um, kind of hard for those two characters to get messed up. Um, but so despite their, their, their changes in their suits that I didn't really appreciate, uh, um, they still did a good job with them. And probably the only saving grace is about the movie is Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Um, they're just iconic characters from Mortal Kombat and so I like that but everything else about Mortal Kombat was just stupid um, that's just my thought if you want to see the movie go for it uh, uh, otherwise to be honest I don't think you're missing much so um, thanks for tuning in to this morning with me uh, as I discuss some of the fails that I've noticed these past couple weeks uh, in between making podcasts um let me know what you think, if there's anything that uh, you think I got wrong or um, anything that you want me to check out, whether to kind of add to the fail list or to check out for good content, um, by all means, let me know. Um, but until next time, I uh, hope you have a good rest of your week. And this is Jason checking out once again with another episode of The Detailing Mind. Have a good day.